Hello and welcome to the Amateur Austenite. My name is Frances Duncan. I am an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. My co-host is my friend Sean. Kia And today we are discussing Chapter 21 of Mansfield Park by Jane Austen. In Chapter 21, things are getting back to normal and being a little bit boring. Fanny kind of likes that they're boring. Edmund misses Miss Crawford, but is saying that it's the whole Parsons family that he misses. So Thomas goes to Mariah and says, are you sure you want to marry Rushworth? Because he's a bit of a dope. And she says, he's great. Totally going to marry him. Nothing to do with revenge at all. So they push through the marriage really quickly. Then she and Julia go off on the marriage trip. Which was quite common in those days. A new wife would take a close family member for company and support. When Jane Austen's own parents got married, they took a small boy with them when they went on their travels. Mm. And when their cousins, the Knights, got married, they picked up Edward, Jane's brother, who they later adopted. So he went on their wedding trip with them. It's interesting that the chapter feels introductory again. At the start, I'm like, was this the chapter that we just read? Because it talks again about Sir Thomas's return and the changes that he's made. I'm guessing this is more of a settling of the changes that he's made. And it's not so much the changes that he's made, so much as reverted. Yes, return to normal. It's referred to as a striking change making Mansfield an altered place, a somber family, sameness and gloom. But Fanny says, I cannot recollect that our families formerly were ever merry, except when my uncle was in town. No young people's are, I suppose, when those they look up to are at home. Of course, the irony there being that his children don't look up to him. They see him as a hindrance. They do recognise his authority. Mariah is chafing under his authority. When he was away, his wife should have set up. There should still have been an authority there. Yes, but Mrs Norris had no control over the children and Lady Bertram did not care. All responsibility on his head has fallen. So he's now being blamed when really the other adult members of the family should have stepped up. That's true, because we are blaming Sir Thomas. He has a big responsibility. He's not naturally a gay man, party animal. That's not himself. So he's not going to be doing charades and theatricals and all sorts of things. And when you're just family, it's always quite different from when you have visitors from elsewhere. And let's be honest, it wasn't just the Crawfords they had. They had Mr. Yates. Mr. Yates. Tom would be bringing in other odds and sods now and again, or certainly he was having a great fine time. We don't hear about Tom leaving at this point, but it's also unusual for Tom to be home. They've contracted the family circle down to the Bertrams and the Rushworths. And let's be honest, I suspect actually... The Rushworths would have added a dampener on it. His mother was like Mrs Norris, basically, a bit of a control freak. And Mr Rushworth, let's be honest, was two planks short of a piece of wood. Mr Rushworth was an inferior young man, as ignorant in business as in books, with opinions in general unfixed, and without seeming much aware of it himself. I think at least he's unaware that he's stupid. Yeah, which is fine for him, but it's not so good for his audience. Sir Thomas could not much longer deceive himself. No. He and you would so wants, much want yeah. his daughters. 
betrothed to be someone he can admire and, and hope would look after his daughter as he would like her to be looked after. It was an alliance which he would not have relinquished without pain. He is very aware of the advantages of her marrying Mr. Rushworth. But he does try to make her think about what she's feeling. He's aware of her indifference. He says she's careless and cold. She could not, did not like him. And he does not want her happiness to be sacrificed. He would act for her and release her. And that actually is saying a huge amount because it isn't just the letting go of a fortune. To actually back out of an engagement was a major thing in those days because the fact you were engaged, you're not just courting, but actually engaged, gives you a lot more license. And to choose to break that tends to say something about the parties involved, not just you can't get on, is there something more? It was a very shameful thing to break an engagement and the repercussions on Mariah would have been quite severe as well. Though definitely not as severe as what ended up happening. No party realised that at that stage. And at that point, Sir Thomas had no reason to know anything about Henry Crawford. He'd not seen her with Henry Crawford. He reasons to himself that... Because she's not in love with Mr. Rushworth, she'll be more attached to her own family. She'll come visiting all the time and they will have amiable and innocent enjoyments. Completely unaware that to Mariah, the liberty which his absence had given was now become an absolute necessity. She is going to do everything to distance herself from her family. Well, she's going to do everything she can to actually get out there and have a bit of fun. And she thinks that once I'm a married woman, I have a lot more liberty. And I have money of my own. Rushworth enjoys parties. I can enjoy parties. She pledged herself anew to Southerton in proud resolve, seeking for all the comfort that pride and self-revenge could give. She wanted to find consolation in fortune and consequence, bustle and the world for her wounded spirit. Plans for the wedding are very rushed. Ordinarily, in preparation for a wedding, you get a whole new wardrobe, which is a true something. We call it a trousseau now, which of course is French. It wouldn't have been called a trousseau in those days. She would have got a whole new wardrobe. Generally, the men also got a new carriage so that the lady would not be seen in an old carriage. That's right. And that's commented on in this chapter that he's... Used seen the in the same. same carriage that he's been in for the last 12 months. But she wants to go to London and pick her own carriage and her own furniture because often they would refurnish the house to the new lady's style. I had missed the fact that Mrs. Rushworth had actually left. She had left the house. She retires. She retires. To and Bath. Whereas when I was thinking of it, I thought that she would have been you know, living with them and actually a... Another thing negative for Mariah to think about was she was going to be dominated by this mother-in-law. But in fact, the mother-in-law saying, great, I can go off and do my own thing. We could have assumed that Southerton has a dowager house. So she might have moved to the dowager house. It means that she would have been still within the park. But she's gone to Bath. But, but you know, she has. She's, she's you know, and she's made it quite clear that she's, you know, retiring from the duties. Yes, she's the dowager, but she's not going to hang around and she's leaving... Everything for Mariah to do, which of course on the one hand you could argue was not a good thing, but on the other hand was actually a very 
positive thing. If Mariah had been a stronger character, she could have done something with Mr. Rushworth. And made this marriage work And made the marriage work. Everyone wants to feel emotional about the wedding, but nobody really does, which is a really funny picture. Her mother stood with salts in her hands, expecting to be agitated. Her aunt tried to cry. (laughs) Mrs. Norris is super excited about the wedding. She is full of self-congratulation, but lacking any real insight into what's going on. She's such a... She's confident in her triumph. You would believe she had never heard of conjugal infelicity. And she has no insight into the disposition of her niece, who had been brought up under her eye. She really doesn't know her niece at all. If any of them had known Mariah better. They would have understood. If they'd seen. How could people like Mrs Norris not have seen how Mariah was so close to Henry Crawford? How could they not see her heartbreaking? You know, she's a very young woman who's been very, very sheltered. Dazzled by a fortune and persuaded by this auntie and everybody else. And now, of course, the love of her life's walked out. And you can absolutely understand why she's saying, he's gone. Now I'm not going to let him get me down. I have to go through with this now because at least I'm going to be independent. I'm going to have some money of my own. I can go off and do my own thing. What she's doing is actually quite rational in an irrational and emotional way. She's revenging herself on Mr. Crawford. I refuse to let him dictate the rest of my life. Unfortunately, he does. I have felt the most sympathy for Mariah in this reading of the book. I think because we're taking our time. I could read a book like this quite easily in a few days. And you do have to read these things either over and over or, as we have done, with much more care on a chapter-by-chapter basis. There's a lot more into it when you look at Austen's writing. She's describing this all the time. Mariah is a little bit of a bitch. Oh, heck yes. She's very, very spoiled. She's the eldest daughter of a very wealthy family. Her mother's ignored her. She's had this auntie who's praised her as much to put down Fanny. So she's never been held account, really, but never really been given anything other than empty praise and superficial education on good manners and how to be a lady and things like that but never truly taught how to manage your self and emotions which when you think about it is a little bit like mr darcy right Hmm. he says i was raised with good principles but i didn't really know how to apply them in a good way what you have here is you've got neglectful parents sir thomas is neglectful as much as He's the man of the house, and it's not his responsibility to take into account the upbringing of the daughters. But you could argue that he... How would he have really ever seen what Mrs Norris was like? She was a very good actress. Superfluous, you you know, on the surface, the girls behaved very well when he was around because they were frightened of him, because he was a strict man. He he doesn't come across as as, as violent or anything, but definitely strict. Fanny's still a little bit scared of him, but she also says that she loves hearing him talk. She has real deep affection and respect for him. And they actually enjoy the same sort of things. 
she loves a family party, so does he. She says, I suppose I am graver than other people. As Edmund is trying to argue that the Crawfords should be included because they're super important to our family. No, sorry, not the Crawfords. The Grants should be included because they're important to our family. But what he really means is Miss Crawford because oh, I miss oh. my girlfriend. Oh. Why is she not Edward here? is so oblivious to what he's saying, isn't he? And then to go on that Mary's saying how lovely Fanny, Fanny is. is and and him saying how lovely Fanny is and which she could really enjoy if it wasn't for the fact he's only saying it because Miss Crawford said it. It's like, oh. Miss Crawford says that Fanny seems almost as fearful of notice and praise as other women were of neglect. Uh, Miss Crawford, she is also a keen observer. What brings this topic up, though, is Edmund teasing Fanny and saying that go to your uncle to ask for compliments and you will hear compliments enough. And though they may be chiefly on your person, trust to his seeing as much beauty of mind in time. Your uncle thinks you very pretty, and then he calls her dear Fanny. And she is distressed by more feelings than he was aware of. How awful to have the man that you're in love with tell you that you're pretty, when he's talking about someone else thinking that you're pretty, rather than, I, I think, think you're, you're pretty. pretty. And we get the one mention of the slave trade in this book. A lot has been made about the slave trade in relation to Mansfield. There are a lot of theories floating around about it. This is the only time that it's actually explicitly mentioned. We do not get to hear the conversation that goes on. All we know is that Fanny asked her uncle a question about it. He appears to have not been upset by the question and would have been happy to continue the conversation. Which is interesting considering there has been speculation that he went to Antigua to put down riots amongst the slaves. Surely then he would be quite uncomfortable discussing the slave trade with her. I think that is the key thing. That's all speculation, but from what I have read and understand is that Austen herself and her family were supportive of the abolition. And certainly her brothers would have been involved with the blockades of the ships carrying slavers. You know, they would have been very anti-involved with all of the anti-slave trade. But it's still a very sensitive subject to bring up at the dinner table with gentrywomen. And you could imagine Mrs Norris would have definitely changed the subject. And Mrs Norris is, it has been theorised, named after a quite well-known slave trader. And as we know, Austen did use names from characters of her time. And there is a some evidence to indicate that it was used to illustrate the characters that were given those names. And Mrs Norris certainly treats Fanny like a slave. So Thomas comes home. Mr Yates and the Grants and the Crawfords are sort of kicked out of the family. Well, they're not kicked out. He doesn't actually kick them out. He just makes it perfectly obvious that he's... Well, I think, actually, if you were staying with friends and the family patriarch came home after being away for 18 months, wouldn't you... Want to give them family time, yeah. If you, like Mariah, you would see... Your perception is, of course, is that he's kicked them out, but actually he's not done anything with the court. Mm. Even with Mr Yates, he was incredibly polite. He was so kind. So within these two chapters, right, at the end of this chapter... 
Julia and Mariah also leave, a further contraction to the family circle. And I imagine Tom's not going to hang around long. And it's interesting at this point, it happens in the next couple of chapters, that Fanny steps more into the foreground for the family, but also in the narrative. She's been hidden behind all these other characters. And once their concerns have been cleared away, you can focus more on Fanny. The same as the family, which I think is quite clever. It's amazing that Fanny is the main character, but it's taken to chapter potentially 22, where she actually starts to have a real role in what's going on. We have been able to see inside her head, but it's more her reactions to what's going on around her rather than her being involved in it. She's now both more proactive and more influential. As this will be released on New Year's Day, we will tell you our plans for 2022. The next book we will be reading after Mansfield Park will be Lady Susan. Surprisingly, this was chosen by the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand to be the next book that we study. I would have thought Mansfield Park and Lady Susan, which are my two favourites, would be right down the bottom of everybody else's list. But after the two most popular, which are Persuasion and Pride and Prejudice, these were the next ones that were chosen. So it should be a very interesting year. Lady Susan is quite a controversial character and I adore her. The book is written in letters, so it can be quite hard to get into, particularly because the first two letters, for example, are both written by Lady Susan, but with entirely different voices. Yes, they're quite clever. So that will be a fun one to do. And we might need to do some other little things because that's only 41 Episodes. episodes. There's either 40 or 41 letters and then there's the end that ties everything up. If you have any suggestions of what you'd like us to do in 2022, please let us know and we could do anything. Anything. Yeah. Politely, that is. Let us know. (laughs) (laughs) And that is our summary of Chapter 21 of Mansfield Park by Jane Austen. My name is Frances Duncan. You can find me at francisduncanwrites.com and on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan. Thank you for listening. We wish you happy new year and happy reading. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of... The Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice Heavily Pride-focused merch, too. It's on Redbubble, and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!